Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignal, visual artist, and today we're going to be talking about tools of the trade. And it's something that we've actually recorded before, but we've probably said this a few times in our intro, which is like, when we first started recording, we had some hiccups and we lost some podcasts. Not just some, we lost like multiple dozens. We, we lost a lot. And so we're re-recording this. The reason that it's a good topic is probably it's one of the questions I get asked the most is like, what did you use for this or what did you use for that? People want to know. What's your favorite pen? Yep. People like to know what tools you're using. And so we're going to talk about that. What tools we use, what are our essential tools, what tools you couldn't live without. And yeah. we'll go from there. And, and just because we use them doesn't mean they're the best. It's just our preference. I know you work with more digital than I do, but I do work with digital tools too. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start there? Why don't we start with digital tools? Because I think more and more artists nowadays are using those. As far as digital tools, what I can't live without right now is my iPad and the Apple Pencil. Yeah. And the app Procreate. That's one of the main tools that I use for absolutely everything. With Procreate and and the format of the iPad and the Pencil, it makes everything feel very real. But then the possibilities are endless for how much you can do to the piece. You know, you could quickly have different ideas and iterations, full color, uh, different stylizations really, really quick. And so the sheer speed of that, I think, helps so much as far as productivity and process and profitability. You use Procreate, right? Yeah, it's definitely my must have for a digital tool because it's just so convenient to have an iPad, you could be watching TV and using it, you know, like I do it all the time. Because sometimes you just want to work out some sketches and you maybe are going to do it in public waiting for a doctor's appointment or something. And you don't want to bring like your sketchbook and all sorts of different pens and pencils, but your iPad with one tool, your Apple pencil, it's just so convenient. Yeah. And yeah. so I think if you're an artist and you don't have an iPad and an Apple pencil at this point, it's worth the investment for sure. Do you think the iPad can completely take over your laptop or computer? It's close. It's It's close. It's getting real close. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It probably could. Like there's certain things I still do on my computer and there's probably apps that I could use to do them on the iPad, but I think I'll probably keep the laptop just because, you know, it does have more processing power and and it is a little bit easier to use for certain things. But man, I definitely use the iPad a lot more than I use my laptop. Yeah, same. I ended up replacing my laptop with a iPad, but I also have an iMac uh, desktop computer. And so the iPad fulfilled all the mobility issues that I needed the computer for and for the things I was using it for. Right. And so that helped a lot. I think the iPad is getting a lot better too, where I think it will shortly be able to take over. What about with animation? Because you do a lot with animation, and I can't imagine that the iPad is nearly as good for doing that type of work as a a Mac. Right. And so the robust processing power is what it's lacking, I think, Mm -hmm. for some key things. One being animation, two being like 3D modeling, 3D animation, stuff like that. Those kind of things I'd like to dabble in. But the animation is that I wish it was better with animation. and I think it it would be able to take over if, if it could handle that. Right now, so before I got the iPad... I purchased the Wacom Cintiq, one of those big 27-inch monitors that you draw on. It's like a big iPad that's connected to my iMac. And so that's what I do all my animation on. 
and some touch up stuff when I need to work in higher higher res, bigger files. I'll use the Wacom tablet to draw on directly. So I still need that, but I'm looking forward to the day where I don't. It might come. Things are only getting better and more advanced, and so I wouldn't be surprised if the iPad at some point basically does take over and you are able to do pretty much everything on it. Yeah. I like having the desktop. That's probably my second tool that I need is a laptop or a desktop. Would it be in that order? It might be something that I need both of at the same time, actually, because I do go back and forth between the two. That's the only downside, I guess. Then I use the Adobe Creative Suite. Use a program called TV Paint. That's an animation software. Those are the main things that I use digitally. So digitally, I'm basically just using Procreate for sketching and drawing. And, and sometimes I do like color work. So I do finish pieces in Procreate. And I still do use Photoshop when I scan in my work, color correct it and stuff like that. But that stuff could be done in Procreate because they have similar tools for adjusting things. So mm-hmm. the only thing is, can you hook a scanner up to an iPad? Like, because I scan my work using my computer, my scanner plugs in USB into my MacBook. I wonder if there's a way you can hook your scanner up to your iPad, because if so, then you... I do have a dongle, like adapter. <laughs> such a dumb name. <laughs> <laughs> I always think like Dingle. Yeah. You know, like a Dingleberry. I always think of Officer Dangle from, what is it, Reno 911 or something? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you can, you have one that have a USB port into the the lightning. I think they make them for cameras and video. I know you could hook up basically anything right. to it that has a USB slot or a USB connector. So I imagine it probably you is can, a win. But I've never tried that. I haven't either. That's why I was asking. Because if I could do that, I probably just could get rid of my laptop mm-hmm. and then just keep my desktop for like making prints and stuff. But even that I could do through my iPad at some point. Do you think scans are still better than a photo? Well, I think you can definitely take photos that are print quality, but I'm not good at that. And so for me, scans are because I've tried to take photos that are as good as my scans and they just it just never comes out as good. But you're right. You can definitely, if you're good at photographing art, And yeah, you can do just as well with a camera. There's even apps now that are scanning apps that you use your camera for. Yeah. And so imagine if you just set up your camera where it was still and you had proper lighting. I guess it's the best for black and white work. I'm impatient though. Like a lot of times I'll finish a piece and want to scan it right away. And if it's like dark out then the lighting and I got to wait. And sometimes in Maine, it'll be like rainy for four days in a row. And then you can't take a photo because you never have good lighting. Right. But I get what you're saying. You know, if you can figure out how to just use your camera and get rid of the scanner, then, you know, I definitely could switch to just using an iPad for sure. Right. Although I do like, not for art, but, you know, just having the computer when I'm typing things out because typing on an iPad isn't as easy as typing on it. Right. I have one of those covers where it's also... Oh, you do? Like a a keyboard. keyboard. Yeah, I guess I could get one of those. Those are like, what, 100 bucks? Yeah, about that, a little over. I love that because then it makes it feel like a laptop. I can do all my emails and stuff on it or start writing ideas down a lot easier. So I like You know, I got to say when the iPad first came out, how long have they been out for? Like 10 years now, you think? More. So when they first came out, I was probably in my 20s. And I remember thinking like, this is just like a bigger phone. Like who would buy that? It's so dumb. And now I use it so much. I get the appeal. I didn't think that they would catch on because I figured we already had everything the the same in the phone, but you couldn't do art on a phone. It's just too small of a screen. It wasn't until the Apple Pencil came out where it 
I thought that it was a really legitimate tool. Have you ever tried to draw with just like a rubber stylus? Oh, yeah. It's a pain. Can't do detail work because there is no point to it. It's like a rounded edge. So there's no pressure sensitivity. The Apple Pencil was a game changer for sure. And so I think for digital use, what if you could only have one tool? What would you say for digital? Would it be the iPad with Procreate? Yeah. That's what I'd pick too, for sure. I could do the most with that. What about for animation? What program would you choose? That gets tricky. Because you can do animation in Procreate, but it's not. Right. It's not that good. And there's a couple apps like Flip a Clip and I'm forgetting some others off the top of my head, Mm -hmm. but they're not crazy robust where like Adobe Animate, there's so much you can do with that. And it's really, it's a great program, but it has its setbacks where it's a vector-based program. So it's infinitely scalable in and out. Every line you take, every line you drag is based on a math equation. And so it's very smooth. So it's very hard to get texture on that program unless you're importing bitmapped photos and stuff like that. And so when I need texture and stuff, that's why I purchased the program TV Paint. That's a bitmap-based program, meaning everything's made with pixels. And so you can make a textured brush to make it look like the actual medium. So I can make a, a pencil brush actually look like pencil yep. and have make it feel like pencil, but it's not infinitely scalable. Like I can't blow that up huge, 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 and it retain the integrity of the line all to get all all you're actually expanding is the pixel itself. So the pixel itself just gets bigger and bigger. Oh, okay. That's how the resizing works in a bitmap. But I really like the texture and the feel. So it's something I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to give up the scalability. So I'll just make something bigger to begin with at a high resolution so that it probably won't ever be a problem. Right, because you're not going to ever have to blow it up that much. So it's hard right now with animation what, what I would choose. I think I like the texture more. I think I like the TV paint program more just because I can get a real look to it. It's more unique than the vector stuff. A lot of companies are doing vector-based kind of stuff and it looks kind of puppety. Even Simpsons these days are kind of looking almost too clean, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. it's very stiff and certain. it's getting pretty cold, lifeless. And so how do you bring that life back in? I think that's, that's one way to do that. I'd like to make a recommendation for Procreate for people out there that maybe like to sketch in regular sketchbooks because there's not a lot of texture in digital work. And I get that because if you just were to open up Procreate and just start drawing like that stark white background, it kind of, it doesn't feel like a sketchbook because there is no texture to it. And so I recommend either scanning a piece of textured paper or just Googling like paper texture and get some images and use that as the first layer of your background. So you already have like a a nice paper texture to the background. It immediately makes drawing for me more enjoyable because it looks more like it would look on paper. In Procreate, there's three brushes you'll see. Well, not three brushes, but three tools. There's a brush, a smudge tool, and then an eraser. And I use that smudge tool quite a bit so lines aren't perfect. Maybe just smudge little parts of it because it gives that feel of of realness and texture. So just those two things, using like a paper background and using that smudge tool here and there can make a pretty big difference between a very cold, untextured look and a real look that looks like you actually did it on paper. That's cool. That's why I like using or starting with a mid-tone background, Mm -hmm. especially when I'm sketching. I feel like I can get definition in a drawing a lot faster because you have the mid-tone already in place. 
then you really just have to hit it with the darks and the lights to make the, the drawing pop. Yeah. I think it's kind of a similar concept with starting with some type of texture, some type of background. Yeah. I just got a sketchbook that's all different tones throughout. So it's, the paper's not white. It's got like a yellowy tone, a little bit of a beige. So I agree with that. Sketching on off-white stuff is great because then when you do the highlights and add the white, it really pops a lot. So I'd agree with mm-hmm. that for sure. Do you want to move into non-digital tools or did you have anything else you wanted to add for digital tools that you think are, are a necessity or maybe not necessity, but tools that you really love that you would recommend? Yeah, I wanted to touch real quick on price of stuff. Oh, okay. It was very hard for me to gather all these tools. You know, it took a long time for me to even be able to afford it. And so I know it's very hard at first trying to think what you're going to invest in with the little money that you have or the little money you're saving up or what do you save up for first. How I did it was I saved up for a MacBook because I knew everything came down to that. That was the bottleneck. I needed a laptop in order to export the thing I'm doing, drawing or animation, whatever it is, resizing. I needed that to finish anything. I needed that and I needed Adobe Creative Suite. Yeah which gave me access to Photoshop, Illustrator, Adobe Animate. InDesign. InDesign. Those are the key programs that I really needed. Yep. So that would be second. Are are you saying that as an animator or an illustrator? Both. Okay. Yeah. And then the next invaluable tool was a Wacom Intuos. I don't know if that's what they call the base model now. That's the one where there's not a screen to it, right? Right. There's no screen, but you still connect it to your laptop. You use your laptop screen and it's like a mouse pad with a touch sensitive pen. And so you have to get used to looking up while you're drawing down. And so you're not looking at what you're drawing. And so that takes some time to get used to, but you can still get professional quality work by doing it that way. And that's the lowest cost of entry. How much is that now, the one you're talking about? Like a couple hundred? Two, three hundred bucks. I think the lowest, lowest even goes far down at 75 bucks. Oh, wow. I never saw that one that way. I would never recommend that one. I'd recommend the mid-tier version of that as far as a professional product is concerned. If you're a kid or you're trying to get a kid introduced to this kind of thinking, I guess that's the only reason why I'd try the really cheap What about stuff, using, because like you can get a used iPad nowadays for a few hundred bucks and you can use an iPad right. as one of those tablets. There's like a, an app that connects it. And I've used it and it's pretty decent. Would you recommend maybe saving instead and get the iPad because it has so many other features that the Wacom tablet doesn't have? Oh, now I would definitely say save for an iPad. Yeah. Right. If you, I didn't even think of just getting a used older iPad and an older Apple Pencil and use that. Yeah, you could probably get that for about the same cost. And it's a better than a low-end Wacom, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Eons better. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's a way better option now. And so I think you're right. I would do that. I would save up for a used iPad if if that's what you needed to do. The newest ones are, of course, way, way better. But, you know, price is always an issue. Work your way up in steps. Find jobs that will pay for these things and some. Understand that these are tools. These tools are tax deductible. So you get a little bit of a break by deducting it, but not, not a lot. So it's not like they're free when it comes to taxes. So understand what tax <laughs> deductible means. And <laughs> I used to think it meant basically free. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then yeah, take small steps. Don't don't overextend your budget if you can't. Never overextend right. your budget. Be smart about it. Because you never can, I guess. And uh, work your way up with tools. So before I got an iPad, I was using 
the laptop and the Intuos Pro. And so the Intuos Pro was the tablet without the screen. And so I was able to get animations done with that, but it was taking me so much longer to the point where I knew I needed to upgrade. One big reason was because I couldn't really see enough on the screen. The screen wasn't big enough. So I had to upgrade the computer and I upgraded to a 27-inch iMac. Now I could see everything how I needed to see it. And my process got a little faster. My quality went up. I was able to pay for it with the projects I was getting. So that's great. Now I had another bottleneck with the actual Intuos pad. It's like, okay, I I can't draw things as fast as I could directly onto a screen. And so I chose to wait till the next big project that could pay for that upgrade. Granted, the computer itself was $1,500, Yeah, they're not cheap. When I upgraded my... Intuos Pro to the Cintiq, which is the monitor you can draw on. Of course, I was like, all right, if I'm going to invest in this, I'm going to get the best thing I possibly can at the time. How much do those cost? At the time, I ended up paying like $3,500 for it. It was a big 27-inch screen, uh, this mount that it came with too, so I could adjust the height and adjust the angle. But it's huge, and it's a uh, super, super expensive. So my thought was, well, this project I have is paying for it and some. And the sheer time alone that I'm saving for how fast I'm able to get this project done is paying for itself. So the amount of time I was saving was easily paying for the equipment. So that's how I justified it. And I understood that people were using, after research, other artists were using their Cintiq for eight, 10 years plus. So I'm like, okay, this is an investment for the future. I'm still going to be doing animation. So this is going to help me. And then I could just keep adding to my arsenal. Thankfully, with used technology, usually is quite a bit cheaper. So you can buy used with this type of stuff and save yourself some money. For instance, with a laptop, I'd rather buy a used MacBook than a brand new other type of computer if there was the same price. Especially if you use an iPad a lot, they integrate so well together. Yeah. And there are other computers that are, I think, just as good as MacBooks. But I don't think there's any tablets that are as good as an iPad. No. Definitely not. So I think having the iPad and then having the MacBook is a good combo. I still think the Mac products still outperform the rest. And it does end up being a cost thing. Yeah. But I think the costs are worth it based on the longevity of the product. Yeah. So if you have the cash on hand or you're able to finance it or if that makes sense to your own personal finances, then I think it's still a sound investment to go with the best quality that you can afford. I agree. At the time. The problem with buying used is that it's already outdated, you know? Yeah, it depends how old it is, but yes, it's true. Every seven months, the new thing is outdated. So you got to think that way too. It's like, well, how many updates is it going to be till this piece of equipment now becomes a brick? Or how a brick being obsolete? I can't use it. It's obsolete. Say, sure, I could pay $1,000 for a laptop other than a Mac. I think even some Macs are a thousand. But what if it only lasts me a couple years versus four years? Right now I have a, I'm still using a 2013 iMac desktop. Yeah. And so seven years. In my head, I try to prepare for an upgrade every four years. So you've almost got double out of that one. Almost was able to pull double out of it. I think it's all about your budget, obviously. And I'm only speaking from preference because I love my MacBook and I love using it, but I really haven't done artwork on other types of computers so i can't really speak to the quality and the user friendliness i know the mac is great and i know it's user friendly so i can't 
really speak with authority. I just can speak on preference, and, and I do think I prefer it. Like I said, I've never used too many other computers to do art, so it's hard to really give an informed opinion, I guess. I worked on both, and so I can give an informed opinion. I think the programs themselves work almost identically. Right. And the software works almost identically. And so if you can get a robust not-Mac, that's sometimes the better option, especially when you're trying to really upgrade your component for less money. Sometimes that is the better way of doing it, especially if you're a studio. I know some studios that have both, but some that only work on PC for the very reason being that they can swap out components. Really easily. Easy. Yeah. Right. And they could upgrade things as needed. Mac, you can't, right? Uh, Or you can, but it's, it's a pain. You end up doing what I did where you have to take off this glass screen in order to access anything. And you screw something up just a little bit, and you now have a crack in your screen. <laughs> and so there's definitely pluses and minuses. But all my life growing up, I worked with PCs, and all my life I had to deal with the maintenance of a PC. And so if you're fine with this general maintenance with tech, it's okay. And you're dealing with your viruses and all that, and all that management. But that's so much time. And so when I switched to Macs, I now realized that I didn't have to take all that on. Like I didn't have to be the techie guy that's fixing all the problems all the time, where a lot of the fixes were happening with updates in just the software and operating system. Things that I had to do were relatively minor in comparison as far as usability. If you have the money to go with Mac, it probably is better. But like you said, there are pros and cons. And and the last time I checked, the cheapest Mac laptop was 1300 it used to be you could get one for a thousand, but I don't think you can anymore. I think it's thirteen hundred for a new, and that's uh, the lowest one. That's the new Mac Air or something. I, th- I think so. And then the Pro is like fifteen or sixteen for the lowest one or something. So mm-hmm. they're not cheap computers. I remember like growing up getting like an HP computer at Best Buy for like three hundred dollars, but it was just a piece of you pay for what you get. You know, it's like it started running really slow within the first month. You know, mm-hmm. so it, I wasn't even using like any programs that were taking up a lot of memory or anything. It was just like, you know, you basically just pay for what you get. If you're going to not put the money up, you're probably going to end up buying more often. Like you said, you've got seven years out of your computer and you're still going. You buy those two $300 computers, you're going to be buying like every other year. A bunch of them. Yeah. And it's not really worth it, but I get it. It's hard because if you're in a financial position where you can't, just can't afford it, then that's what you have to do and just deal with That's why I think personally, I feel like the best way to enter into the digital world if you haven't is with an iPad because you can get a a used iPad that's still got a lot of life in it for a pretty good price and there's so much you can do on it. It's a good entry point for someone that's on a budget. I agree. But let's move into traditional mediums. And now this is where the budget's not such a big deal because probably all the tools we're going to talk about here for a few hundred dollars, you could go out and buy all of them. Mm -hmm. So now it's just a matter of preference. I mean, there's obviously are paints that are more expensive. If you go from student grade acrylic paint to artist grade, you're talking about anywhere from $4 a tube all the way up to $30 a tube. So there is a big difference if you're going to buy a lot of paint or, or something. But let's start with paper. Do you have any specific sketchbooks or paper that you like to use? I love moleskin sketchbooks. Yeah. I love the paper. I love how that feels. I love the watercolor moleskins too especially when I'm using like gouache and watercolor or whatever, but they're expensive. Yeah. And so I started switching my sketchbooking to $5 sketchbooks that are hard cover bound sketchbooks. 
So they're very cheap, but there's a bunch of pages in them. And that's where I do all my really rough stuff. And I really like having the bound version of the sketchbook because the, the pages shift less. When you have yes. the spiral, pages shift more, which then smudges your pencil lines. And so when you work, when you, I sketch all the time in pencil and that always really bugs me when, when they smudge. So the bound sketchbook helps with that. And it's really cheap, so I don't have to care so much about the sketch, and it loosens me up a little bit more. So I, I like that. When I'm going into something more finalized, or if I wanted to do a, a watercolor painting, I, I upgrade my paper. I look and I usually get like an arches sheet, cold press or hot press, depending on what I'm working with, and use you know the nicest paper I can afford based on the project because it, it makes a difference on how the paper handles the medium. As far as traditional mediums, when we're not talking digital, the paper you use is probably the most important part because there's so many papers that just stink and they buckle. Mm -hmm. And if you're doing watercolor, they only take like one quick layer. Right. And they don't take mediums well. I like these travel log handbooks. They're pretty good and they make a watercolor one. The regular one would take like a light wash, but the watercolor one will take a couple. But I agree with you. I hate spiral. I like the bound for some of the same reasons. I don't like that the spiral like shift a lot. But I also like the bound because when you open it, if you want to do like a larger drawing on the full spread, mm. if you use the spiral, you get a gap, right? Right. Whereas these, you can actually do a nice full spread and it looks like a book it connects. I also like the bound because it prevents me from ripping out the page. It's like, sure, you can, but I feel it, like it you looks bad rip. if you do. Yeah. If you have a bad sketch, just go to the next page. Mm hmm. If you're not feeling good about that couple lines you just threw on the page, go to the next page. You yes. Know, it's not a big deal. And start over. The reason I say that, there's times if I'm having a creative block, I like to peruse through my old sketchbooks and just thumb through them to see what pops out. And different things pop out every time. And sometimes things that I thought were throwaway sketches that I really didn't like, for some reason, now they're popping out at me. It's like, well, there's something there that I want to dig into or... I want to now use this old sketch that I was going to throw away in a different way over over here. Yep. So you never know when that kind of thing's going to happen. So just don't throw away your sketches. Yeah, I agree with that. Idea nuggets that sometimes compress like coal into a diamond, you know. The more sketches you have, the more diamonds you might find. And we talked to Tommy Kane last week and he keeps every sketchbook, everything he's ever made and he's probably thankful that he does have them all and didn't throw them away or didn't rip pages out. So even though you may have drawings that you're not that fond of, it, it is a cool reference to have everything you've ever created in, in like a catalog. Mm. As far as like paper that's not sketchbook paper that you're going to use for maybe finished pieces, at that point, I do use one that's on like a wire bound because I, I rip these out. Mm -hmm. I really like this B paper. It's called heavyweight premium drawing paper, and it's like a high rag paper. It takes watercolor really well. But I think the best part about it is it's off white, and so you mm -hmm. can add white highlights to it and they mm. stand out and so that's my favorite thing about it because like a stark white paper isn't my favorite to draw on and i know you agree with that as far as you we're talking about with digital you like to start on kind of a mid-tone and so this isn't mid-tone it is still closer to white but it's enough of a off-white that it it's you definitely notice the highlight right it's like for that very reason it's kind of like if i were to put an analogy to this it's like having a bunch of tools spread out on a floor a little room, mm -hmm. right? 
and a stark white piece of paper is like having your back up against one of those walls in the room. So you have access to those things in front of you, but you can't reach the ones on the other side of the room. But a toned piece of paper is kind of like sitting in the middle of that room. That's a good analogy. And now you can have access to all those tools behind you, in front of you, to the side of you. It's kind of the same thing where if you think of just the tonal range, right? If you're starting at one extreme end, you have to now plan for that extreme end throughout the whole piece instead of being in the middle and be able to pick and choose what extreme ends you need. That's a really good analogy and it's smart. Let's just say you're using crayons. If you pick a stark white piece of paper, you've already made it so that your white crayon is useless. Right. Right. (laughs) I've never heard that analogy. I do agree with it. It's like you're opening yourself up to more options when you start on a a mid-tone. It doesn't have to be perfectly mid, like right in the middle. In fact, I don't think I like them when they're that in the middle because it's too dark. Yeah. But something that's not white is always a cool option to, to work with. Right. Uh, let's see. What should we go to next as far as... What about actual utensils, you know, pens, pencils? Yeah. Let's go basic. I know a lot of people have preference for pencils. Yep. My preference is actually the standard Ticonderoga yellow pencil that you can find in any store, any pharmacy. Like you a know, number any, two? Yeah. HB number two yeah. yellow Ticonderoga pencil. They're smooth. You could get them anywhere so you don't have to go to a specialty store, you don't have to special order these things. I feel like I'd be set no matter where I was. I could purchase any sketchbook and some Ticonderogas, a pencil sharpener, and I'll be happy. That's my go-to pencil. Sometimes, though, I have and do like to experiment with pencils. Instead of being 25 cents each, they're like $4 a piece. And they're called black wings, and they come in different firmnesses of lead. Yeah. They're really nice because you get a really dark pencil line and they have history behind it too where a lot of like the old Disney guys animated with these black wing pencils because they were so dark. They were so dark, yeah. Smooth and fast. And so they're great and they're nice. Each one feels different so you have have to have your preference there. But um, my preference still, whenever I go to sketching and sketchbooking or or anything, I, I pick up a Ticonderoga. What about mechanical? You ever use those just because you don't have to deal with sharpening and everything? So it's easier in that sense alone. Sometimes I see the use for them with like really detailed small things, but I usually advise against mechanical pencils because of line variant. That's a problem. And with a regular pencil, you know, I can now put it on its side and have a broad tip to shade. I can sharpen it really, really fine point and have... A really tight you line, know, yeah. A really, really nice line. But then I could also vary it. And so I, I am usually sitting next to a pencil sharpener, and I am sharpening it all the time, and I love a sharp point. And that's kind of a downfall to the pencil, but it also brings a little bit of life back into the drawing, too. It's kind of like working digitally, where if I was just working with, with a mechanical pencil, sure, I could get some variance of line, of course. It's pretty minimal, though. Right, but I'm cutting off the extreme ends. I don't prefer mechanical pencils. I was just curious. I think a lot of like regular pencils that you get at the like a convenience store or a grocery store, they're too gray. I prefer darker pencils, so I do like the more expensive ones. I like the sanguine pencils. Some of them actually have a brownish tint to them, but they're dark. Mm-hmm. And I do like pretty black pencils. I I got to say the I can't I don't even know the brand, but they're sanguine S A N G U I N E and the, the reason I like them so much is because I've never even had one break when I'm sharpening it. And that can be a problem Whoa. if you get the wrong pencil. Every time you go to sharpen it, the tip breaks and you got to keep going. Mm-hmm. Some pencils are really 
made poorly in that way. Yeah. And I've actually found that I use like a uh, an exacto, exacto knife blade. to sharpen yeah. my pencils a lot of times because it keeps them from breaking if you're careful. But yeah. with those pencils, you can use a regular sharpener and it works pretty good. The key to pencil sharpeners is to spend the money and get a nice one because that blade inside, if it's not really sharp, it's going to break. Like a dull blade inside of your sharpener actually will break your pencil a lot more often. Yeah. So it's worth getting the money. I've always wanted to have one of those electric pencil sharpeners, but I never bought one. I'm sure you can get them for pretty cheap nowadays. Like I remember at school when the teacher would have one, I would be like, oh, these things are so cool. I have a couple of the electric pencil sharpeners. Well, they're probably what, like 10 bucks or something? That I keep right next to my desk. Mm -hmm. I don't even remember anymore how much they cost. But the older ones are even better than the newer ones, I think. Are they? I just remember the old, those at school, but then the, also the ones on the wall that you like crank. Right. Those were pretty garbage too. But. <laughs> so let, let's go from pencil to pen. This is the tool I use the most. If, if I had to say any tool, it's pen. I use pen for my line work. I start, always start my drawings with a pen. Do you find that you use a lot of pen or do you generally draw with pencil more? Lately, most of my line work has been digital. I'll normally draw with a pencil in my sketchbook. I'll figure things out, figure out what I want to do take a picture of my sketch. Yep, bring that bring into Bring it Procreate. into Procreate. Yep. Tweak things, suggest things. Sometimes even use the liquify functionality where I'm now like further exaggerating my sketch just by moving my sketch, you know, as if it was Play-Doh. Let me throw you off then because we did switch from digital to traditional, but because we're talking about line work now, <laughs> right, I right. want to know what pen you use in Procreate because there's all different types of pens, right? Oh, in Procreate. Right, in Procreate, there's different pens. Because I'll tell you what my favorite is. Yeah, so um, I usually stick between two, and it depends on what I want the look feel to be. If I want it to have a lot more texture and, and life to it, I really like using the ink bleed pen. That's my favorite one, too. I think that's my favorite. There's some drawbacks to it because of scalability, or when you move it, the line starts blurring a little bit. Because it's pixel-based, you just have to make sure that your file is big enough. Yeah, if you move it around, it's terrible. If you have your drawing the way you want it to do your final run over with it, it's, it's awesome. But you're right, it does yeah. get blurry if you start moving it around, your layers around too much. Right. But then if I want something that's clean, I use the traditional technical pen tool because there is some smoothing to it. You could adjust the smoothing with that. It was actually with most of the pens. There's a lot of, there's a lot of different adjustments you can make for each brush. But the technical pencil or technical pen has a nice smoothing feature where it's almost as if you're using a brush with longer bristles. Oh, okay. So it feels like you're dragging the line that way. It feels almost like a lag, but it's it's really just trying to mimic a long bristled brush. I think that the ink bleed one with the streamline turned all the way down is definitely my favorite because it closely mimics a real like rollerball pen or, or fountain pen almost. Yeah. For traditional pens, that's what I'm going to talk about is like almost any fountain pen are really great, but I prefer to get ones with pretty broad nibs. They actually have a Lamy 2000 pen that has the nib is actually slanted. So if you draw with it on the slant, the line is really thick. It's like 1.2 millimeters. Mm -hmm. Most pens are probably like 0.3 or 0.5 at the most millimeters. So you get a pretty good thick line with it. But if you like the ink bleed pen in, in Procreate, I would always recommend either a fountain pen or like a uniball pen because those have bleed to them so mm -hmm. once you draw the, the line if you had like a magnifying glass and you drew a, a line and just watched it afterwards you would see it bleed out just a little bit right and if you like recorded it and put it in slow motion it's actually it would be really cool to to watch yeah 
And another cool trick to use, really wet, bloody line that just bleeds out everywhere. If you take a brush, put a little bit of water on it, and then go over the line. Before you draw the line, like put a little bit of water on the paper where you're about to draw the line, just a little bit, and then draw it. It'll really bleed out everywhere, and it'll give you a really interesting look. So I think that for tools, that those are two of the things that I use the most, for sure, is like a nice bloody pen and a little bit of water to even make it more bloody. Not bloody, yeah. bleeding. What, what yeah. would be the right word? I don't even know. <laughs> bloody sounds fun to me. <laughs> yeah, or leak, leaky or smudgy. No, bleeding, I think, is the right word. I use a lot of microns, so I like to have microns on hand. It's kind of like the equivalent to the technical pen, mm-hmm. where it's I can have a fixed-sized line and have it be pretty smooth. I like them and hate them <laughs> almost, almost equally. So microns... They are waterproof, right? So if you were going to go over with watercolor, yeah. the line would stay where you wanted it to, wouldn't smudge. So that's what I like about them. Right. But they're only waterproof when it's dry. Yeah, you have to and let so it dry. You, so you have to be patient. You have to make sure that it's dry. Then it's pretty waterproof. Sometimes I think it does bleed on you if, if it's not perfectly dry. But they don't take that long to dry. But if you're also using a, a ton of water on it, I think sometimes sometimes I've gotten into situations where it did bleed a little bit. But in comparison, like a fountain pen, you're just almost never going to be able to go over those with watercolor. The black will right. bleed. Right. That's what I like. I have some sketchbooks where I would use primarily microns as my line work and then go over it with watercolor and i like how that looks so i'll do that sometimes does micron make different size tips you know like 0.3 0.5 or are they all the same yeah it goes real small i think the smallest is i don't know what the smallest is but i think i I have some pens that are like 0.001 oh that's really tiny and all all the way up to like 0.08 tips they get pretty big they have a good range yeah the thing with those the downfall is that they only have so much line variance right it's kind of like a mechanical pencil that's why it's good to have a couple different ones from a 0.01 all the way up to like a 1.0 which is like a full millimeter that's a huge difference in line or do you upgrade to a brush so you have more line variance or i hate doing line or or an actual like pen and nib kind of a thing i would prefer pen and nib i don't like doing line work with brushes i find it to be kind of too challenging it is hard i'm the same way the brush pens i i would prefer those over a, a regular brush but even then i just bought my wife some watercolor markers and they're incredible have you used them i don't use them a lot i've, pl- I've played with them though it's like my favorite new marker because you can use them as a regular marker if you want but the cool mm-hmm. thing is you can lay them down and they get a little bit of water that you can smear them you know like with copics you can get the different variants of grays so you can go like seven five three one and you can make like a nice gradient because right with these watercolor markers you get the one color and then a brush with a little bit of water and you can make that same gradient and it's kind of like a mix between watercolor and a marker it's definitely easier to use than watercolor so if you wanted to practice and work up to using watercolors it's a good way to start because they're a lot easier to control Hmm. so i would recommend them for people that are Maybe they find watercolor to be like challenging and they can't control it like they want. They're like a training wheels or something, you know, for watercolor. Like learn how to use those and then work your way up. Do you have a set of watercolors that you you like? Yeah, I do. I don't really have a watercolor preference as far as paints are concerned. I like to build up my watercolors slowly anyways. So the opaqueness of the paint doesn't really bother me if it takes a lot of layers to really build up the colors. So. That doesn't bother me too, too much. I think with watercolor, I prefer these tins 
that are hard watercolor. You know what I mean? And rather than the tubes. Uh, with the bricks. Yeah. yeah. I like these tins with the bricks. I like the Koi one a lot because I just happen to like the colors that it comes with. But I don't know. These are just so convenient to have a tray of all different colors yeah. and you could take this out. And they come with these great brushes that you can actually fill the chamber with water. Yeah. And those are great when you're when you're out. Yep. Because you could bring your sketchbook and just your tray of Koi watercolors with this brush, maybe one pen, and you could sketch all day with that. And it's simple, you know. I'd sometimes bring a water bottle and like when I'm traveling and stuff. So it's, when I need to refill the brush, I'll just like spit water yeah. into it. I mean, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah. Just spit water in and you're good to go. I mean, it's, it's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and they come in different sizes too so you get a little tray or a big tray of watercolors and the little tray is really great for travel yeah because those koi's are reasonable you can get that tray for like 27 bucks or something mm -hmm. i'm like i want to see the difference and get like one of these expensive watercolor trays so i got a shiminki which is supposed <laughs> to be like a really high quality like french watercolor tin you yeah. know one of the best of these trays and i think i paid 100 bucks for this and it's only got like eight colors and yeah. the Koi one, I use the Koi one more. So huh. there's some things that paying the extra money isn't worth it. Yeah. And I find watercolor to be one of those things, especially the amount I use it. Maybe if that's all you use is watercolor, it might be worth paying the extra. And you might happen to like the colors more than that. But I think it's just, it's like nostalgic. It reminds me of being in art class in like third grade, having those old school watercolors, the bricks rather than the tubes where you squeeze. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's intimidating. Sometimes it's intimidating to be using really expensive materials. Yeah. You know, so it, it kind of clams me up a little bit. It's like uh, when I'm painting, when I'm using acrylics, a lot of times that my base coat will be cheaper one, you know, cheaper acrylics that I'm buying in like giant, giant tubes and then having a set of much nicer acrylics, like yep. golden brand acrylics that I'll either use as like the finishing touch or or use them from the beginning if I need things filled in with a lot more for the paint to be more opaque. Is that what it is when it's... Less see-through? Less see-through. Yeah. Yeah. As far as traditional tools, is there any that you use a lot that we didn't cover, like markers or anything that you tend to use a lot of? I use so many traditional tools, but we're not going to go through them all. I just wondered yeah. if there was anything that you use a lot that we should touch on. I use Copics a lot for sketching, mainly the grayscale. Those are great. Just because it's really easy and fast to get down some definition. I don't have a full set of them. I think someday I would like one, especially for sketchbooking and small original pieces, just because of the speed and how you can get a flat layer of color with, without stroke marks. I know. is incredible. And so I, I love that. You know, I actually use the Copic ink because you can get the refill ink. Mm -hmm. And I've actually used that with a brush and like just poured oh, it out really? into a little tub and used the gray and filled in shadows and stuff just using a brush. I like that. Yeah. I have some of that ink. Maybe I'll do that instead. Try it out because it actually works pretty well. And if you have a big area to fill and you have a good size brush, you can fill it a lot quicker than using the markers. Right, right. They do sell the really thick Copic markers. They're like an inch thick. Have you seen those? <laughs> yeah. Those are okay if you have like big areas. Maybe if I have one black one and one yellow one that I used to use a lot, but yeah. I definitely think but Copic are the best marker. A lot of times I'm using really crap brushes because I kind of treat my brushes poorly. Yeah, me too. <laughs> so I go, I go through them a lot. So I don't, I don't buy very, very expensive ones all the time. I do have a set of fine point brushes that are really nice ones that are like Windsor Newton Sable ones that I... I always keep and I have there to use when I 
think I'll need them. I rarely use them, though. Rarely use them. But I imagine I will use them more in the future. You know, I feel like sometimes I get cornered in by technology and working digitally where I feel like I, I just need to work with my hands on something physical. Yeah. Just to have a creative breakthrough tools. It's hard to experiment on like, that's one thing I find with Procreate and working on the iPad. Like you said, it's easier to have breakthroughs when you're working traditionally and experiment. But on the iPad, it's a little bit harder yeah. and more challenging. It's harder to have like happy accidents because you can control the tools so much better. Right. So in my studio, I really love having a lot of tools. Like, so I have almost everything you can have. Mm -hmm just because I've built them up over the years. And instead of throwing them away, I'll, you know, I, I just kind of put them away. And so I know that I have these tools on hand for when I need them. I don't use them all all the time, but it's so nice to know that I have it yeah. because sometimes I do need them. And so then I could just keep the flow going. I don't have to just stop, go get the tool I need, come back to the studio, start again. This way I can just kind of have that flow and experimental yeah thing going yeah so the more you play with stuff the more tools you'll have in, in your studio to to experiment with if you're new to creating art it's going to take time to build up a ton of tools because they are you know they can get pricey the more you experiment with different tools the more you'll find favorites mm -hmm. and so that's what i recommend these tools that we talked about today are our favorites i'm sure you have your own favorites but maybe try some of these out maybe you'll really like them one last thing too i wanted to talk about that i forgot is for collage artists I think that you have to have a tube of this Elmer's No Wrinkle Glue because the main problem with cheap glues is it buckles. So if you glue a photograph or something onto your artwork, it curves the paper. And so mm -hmm. that's why a lot of collage artists don't use cheap glue. They might use like Mod Podge or other different things, which is probably the best way to go. But having a, this No Wrinkle Glue at your fingertips for little small things, it's a really quick way to attach something and not have to worry that it's going to buckle or, or ruin the piece. So I think this is like a must-have if you do any type of collage. That's cool. So that's a must-have. I don't have that. I should get some. <laughs> it's definitely the best glue out there for sure. Those cheap glues are awful. They're just terrible. I don't know what people use them for because they ruin everything they touch. They, <laughs> they curve everything up and they don't even really hold things that well. I used to hate in um, 2D class at Mecca, they made us use those sticks, like not glue sticks paste sticks that are like you can move things around still but they don't hold uh, they're awful because everything falls off and they don't hold really well i never used that i used the sticky paper oh okay yeah you'd put what you wanted to stick down on the sticky paper and kind of rubs it into the sticky paper now the whole thing on the back has this, this sticky stuff that is still movable that was the point like they wanted us to be able to move things around and stuff but I don't know. I just hate that stuff. If you need to move things around, obviously you don't want to use permanent glue. So it's, it's handy to have. But anyway, I think this was a cool podcast. I always love talking about the tools of the trade anyway. Yeah. It is something people ask a lot about. So yeah. And if we missed anything, ask us, we'd be happy to touch base on it again in future episodes. In the comments on Instagram or whatever, if you see something in one of our pieces that you wonder how we did it or what tool we used, I always try to answer questions when people ask them. I know I ask those things too. Yeah. And that's how I found the tools that I use today, too. So it doesn't hurt to ask. Exactly. And what else we got going on? We only have like one or two. We're going to take a break in December, but we'll still put out podcasts because we have some in the vault. So uh, hopefully we won't have a, a spacing in podcasts for you guys to listen to. We had Tommy Kane on and we're going to have Felix Scheinberger on soon. So we've got some other illustrators for you guys to listen to other than just us coming up. 
Awesome. Looking forward to it. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today and we'll talk soon. Yeah, thank you. Take care, guys.